it's important to surround yourself with the right people that will keep you encouraged. Um, because there are times when you, like I said before, you do feel like giving up, you feel like quitting, you don't want to do it anymore. But if you're surrounded with the right person, like I kind of call them the go-getter or the encourager in a sense. If you're surrounded with that person, it, it gives you strength. It holds you up when you can't stand up and you can do vice versa, be vice versa for them. Hey, y'all. I'm Jen. I'm a daughter, a sister, an auntie, a niece, a cousin, and a friend. And I love pineapples on pizza, spending all day in Disneyland, shopping for bargains on Amazon, and all things literacy. I'm a Jesus girl. I love people, and I love hearing their stories. In fact, that's what I'm doing here, sharing stories with powerful lessons to encourage us, empower us to keep moving forward, and to remind us that God has our back. I can't wait for you to hear these stories. Why don't you go ahead and join us for a story worth living? There's something about this quote that I really, really love. It's by the Arturians, and it goes like this. Your work is not to drag the world kicking and screaming into a new awareness. Your job is to simply do your work sacredly, secretly, silently. And those with eyes to see and ears to hear will respond. This quote actually reminds me of this episode's epic educator. And I'm happy to feature a friend of mine who's been teaching in the elementary realm for a few years now. I say a few years, 17 years to be exact. She currently teaches at Bethany Christian Academy in Montgomery, Alabama, where she's taught everything from kindergarten to fourth grade in her tenure there. While serving at Bethany, she was nominated for the Golden Apple Award, an honor that caught her by surprise. While she was teaching one day in the classroom, a TV camera and a journalist showed up to interview her, and she was just surprised beyond belief. Well, Faith is the epitome of commitment to the task that she's been given, and it's evident when she talks about her teaching experiences and when she relays her uh, you know, experiences with engagement with children. I salute her as an epic educator, and I'm sure you will too as you listen in to this episode. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for just taking out time in your busy day to spend some time with us and to shed some light on the world of teaching. Um, The first thing that we want to know is who is Faith Franks? Well, Faith Franks is a wife, an educator, a sister, Hmm. And I guess I can say in some way a mother, even though I don't have my own children, but to my class, to the people, to the children I come across, you can say a mother too. I did not always want to teach my first, I thought what I wanted to do, I know, I know I wanted to work with children, but what I thought I first really wanted to do was be a pediatrician. And I remember I started at Oakwood in biology. And Dr. Paul was my advisor, as a matter of fact. And um, I was pretty sure this is what I wanted to do. Until one day, he took us into the lab with a bunch of dead bodies. And I was like, wow, I can just imagine if I'm a doctor, 
and I'm working on somebody's child and they die, I have to tell that parent, I'm sorry, you lost your child. And that just wouldn't work with me. It didn't, I didn't feel right inside of me. That's not the way I wanted to work with children. So at that point, after um, I decided to switch my major, I kind of went undecided because I wasn't sure what else I can do working with children. And then I remember clearly it was probably within after my second year at Oakwood, my mom was with me at the time and I was walking around trying to decide, I don't know what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. And at that time, we bumped into a lady called Dr. Bliss. And Dr. Bliss said, oh, just come on, honey, honey, sit down, sit down, have a seat right here. And because um, I was telling her, I don't know what I want to do and everything. And she can hear the confusion, I guess, within my voice. And she's like, well, why don't you just try education? I was like, mm, I don't know. And, um, but she, she kind of talked me into doing it. And I was like, okay. So after that full force, I went into doing it and graduated elementary education. At, at that time, it was called Oakwood College. So, yeah. So I was pretty, I was, I was pretty shocked that I did it, but that's, I, I guess that's where the Lord wanted me and placed me at that present point in time. I think it really started when that point, when I met Dr. Bliss though, because I mean, I really wasn't thinking education. I was thinking something else other, other than that to try to work with children. I know I wanted to work with kids, but I knew education was like the last thing on the list. I think it's really when I spent most of my time at what they call the curriculum lab there, working in groups with other people who wanted to be educators, working on projects, being introduced to new things, and just imagining, wow, if I, when I have my own classroom, these are some of the things I can do. Um, the hands-on things really made me want to say teaching is that passion and that love for me, because I guess I can understand it more as a child would understand through a child's eyes, I guess I can say, with the hands-on experience. Because working with other people and seeing, not all, not just seeing so much their love and their passion for education, but seeing that eye-opening experience of, oh, wow, this is what, this is what it's going to look like for a child. And, oh, they're going to have so much fun when they get into this. It's going to be exciting. That's, I think, those are the, those experiences like that is what, I can remember most. Yeah, it's been a while. So to think back to that, some of the people that were there with you at the school, I'm trying to remember some of their names. Some of them, it's like their faces I, I can see as I close my eyes and just picture them and the smiles of um, with them as we work together and stuff. I mean, like, for instance, like one person, Charmaine, I can think about, because she's still in education now, actually, yeah. And it was interesting. I actually saw her on Zoom the other day when we were in a workshop and stuff. And just to think back to that, when we were both in some of those classes together, and yeah, you felt overloaded, but you had a joy in a sense, just to know that once you reach that goal that you and you'll have your own, it's gonna it's an excitement with it. So when I graduated, I did not start teaching probably until about three or four years later. Um, I first started, I was working in fast food restaurants. Then I started working in telecommunications and I kind of, I guess said, Oh, I can do this. This is not so bad. And back to Dr. Bliss again, <laughs> she knew I hadn't started teaching and she wanted me to use that degree. So she called me up and she said, Faith Victor, I know 
I know you're not wasting that degree. You better be doing something with it. And I'm like, I'm in telecommunication. She's like, no, that's not what you went to school for. And she said, but I'm going to keep an eye out for you. So she kind of called and kept me encouraged. And she sent me on interviews. And I went on different interviews. And it was like the same old story. Well, we're kind of looking for someone with experience. I went to several different interviews and kind of felt like, well, maybe I just need to stay in telecommunication. But it was probably a year later after those interviews, Dr. Bliss called me back. And she said, I know you're looking for a job. And... There's a school in Montgomery. It's a private school, she said, and you can get your experience there. And once you get your experience, then when you feel you're ready to move on and go, you can go. And I was like, it's a church school? Because I really wasn't sure if I wanted to be in a church school. I was, when I was applying, I was applying to public schools. She was like, yes, it's a church school. But she's like, you're just going to get your experience. They really need a teacher. And the first person that came to my mind was you, she said, because I know you have your degree and I know you need to be in the field. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll give it a try. And the, from that point on, um, sh- I got hooked up with the superintendent at the time that was Aldwin Humphrey. And he met me on Oakwood campus, interviewed me, and told me I got the job. And I guess I packed my stuff from Huntsville and got ready to go to Montgomery, Alabama. <laughs> my situation was a little unusual um, because when I first went there, I actually took over for a teacher. I didn't start like fresh my new year, getting to know the students and everything. So I had a week to shadow her, to watch her, to see what she was doing and try to do what she's doing. So parents wouldn't feel uneasy or want to pull their students out of the school because I came in in April, as I can remember, it was April. After I guess I started feeling my groove and getting into, you can do this, God's got you. It wasn't so bad. It really wasn't that bad. The kids got to know me. We had fun. And so from April to May, it wasn't so bad. And I was like, okay, I got my foot in the door now. So that was a good thing. And um, after that, on the next year, it was all about what I wanted to do. And it was my classroom. So the parents got to know me. They were happy. So, and the school was pleased with me. So they let, let me stay, I guess. They let me stay. <laughs> okay, when I first started teaching, I taught first grade. And a couple of years later down the line, I did a first and second grade class, a combo, a multi-grade class. Um, this school year, since COVID has hit, I started in first and second grade. Right. Um, then I moved on to third grade and fourth grade. I taught third and fourth grade, another multi-grade combo class. And presently now I'm teaching K-1 and 2. Well, that just shows how versatile you are and and how flexible you are. And that's something that I I don't think that people know or understand about teachers and how, um, you know, we're able to, and not without challenge, but how we're able to turn on a dime almost like that to provide for the needs of the students or to meet the level of responsibility that is being asked of us. Um, So that's pretty amazing that you have taken um, that responsibility as your own and and really just did what needed to be done, you know, in this very unusual um, pandemic educational, you know, environment. So, so, 
what has what has teaching just overall been like? What has the education process been like during the pandemic for you? Interesting and different, hard at times too. Um, what made it interesting is that you know most schools try to gravitate that we need technology. Um, technology is the new wave. You know, the kids have to have more technology. Get this pandemic made us get technology. It forced us into doing things um, with technology. So I can definitely not say that the kids are not getting technology. But there's a difference between getting technology and understanding how to use it to educate a child. And that pan- this pandemic has definitely brought that out and. Yeah, we say kids are so advanced. They can they can get on the phone and download all these things and do these things, but they really don't understand how to use technology to learn. And so this pandemic actually has stretched, I can say with my students, have stretched them where some things you thought children should know or you would think they pick up or they get it because they're always in front of a device. It has really stretched them to understand what it really means to type something or to go on Google Docs, make a slide, okay? Or to do research to find out, to know that just because you type it in Google doesn't mean that that first one that pops up is the correct answer. And it's amazing. My students will say, Mrs. Franks, Mrs. Franks, I found it. I said, okay, what does it say? What does it mean? And they're like, when they're reading it, they're like, oh, this can't be what we're talking about. So what we're understanding is that you really have to, they're really understanding what it means to do research online. Okay. They're really understanding what it means to take things without plagiarizing to or just put it together, copy and paste it, and they put it in their own words. So this has actually helped them understand technology, how technology should be used in education sense, I can say with that. Um, The interesting part is what the downplay on it is the children not getting hands-on. They need hands-on face-to-face. They need it. um, Elementary was not made to be like college level, I can say. And some of the programs they're trying to have it's used makes it difficult because it wasn't designed for lower elementary students. Picture that kindergartner who has to sit in front of a screen from eight to two. That that's just not normal. It doesn't even feel right when you're getting to when you're trying to educate them. No matter how many breaks you take, because even in the sense of you're taking a break and it's time for them to come back. They don't want to come back. And it's a struggle, not just for them, but for the parents. Um, It's really, this pandemic has really changed not just the way we have to teach, but it's also putting a social um, effect on the children, which is sad. Just to turn a corner a little bit, can you talk about some of your most memorable students? And I'm sure that many of them are memorable for many reasons, (laughs) but which ones stick out in your mind? (laughs) One thing I can say my passion and love for teaching is the fact that children, even if you get, even if they get upset with you or you get upset with them, they make you love them regardless because they're just real. They tell you, they tell you like it is, I guess the way they can tell it to you. 
and they're just real with it. Um, when I think about a memorable student that sticks out in my mind, hmm. okay, I have this one student. This is when I was teaching first grade. I had this one student. I won't use her name just in case she's listening to the podcast. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but she would just scream and cry and go underneath her desk. I mean, when we first entered the class and everything, I mean, there was no, it didn't seem like there was any problems, but I guess if a student said something and she didn't like it, emotionally, she did not know how to just say no or just leave me alone. She would scream, literally scream and cry and go underneath her desk. And even though I'd pull her to the side and have a little conversation with her and try to encourage her, there's a better way to handle it. It didn't necessarily work out that way. She would scream and cry and go back underneath the desk. And so I came up with a system of, okay, it's apparent that you have to cry and I'm not going to stop you from crying. This is the way you deal with what you're dealing with right now. So I told her when you feel like you need to cry or when you're going to cry, you can just get up and leave the classroom and go outside crying. Then when you've calmed down, come back to class. I didn't realize how much that would help or made an effect on that child until the parent, the mother came to me. And this was possibly when the child was now probably getting ready to graduate from our school. She graduated in the eighth grade. And usually they do dedications to the, their teacher, which would be their eighth grade teacher, their parent, and to the principal and stuff like that. The child made the dedication to me and I was like, what? <laughs> and the mom came up to me after the graduation and she said to me, you don't understand the, the impression, the effect that you had upon my child. You allowed her to, I guess, emotionally deal with what she had to deal with without, I mean, shutting it down or saying she can't be in my class anymore. She's a problem. You took her as she was and worked with her and helped her to grow and develop to what she is now. She said, I was like, what did I do? She was like, just the simplest thing of letting her cry. She's because she said, you don't understand the, the next year after that with a second grade teacher, it was difficult. She just kept on saying, you're not going to cry in my class. Goodbye. Go to the office. She said, you didn't do that, Miss Victor. She said, you took the time. You let her cry. And when she calmed down, you let her back in the classroom to do what she needed to do. And she said, that's what my child needed at that present point in time. Um, and I guess what stuck out, why that stuck out to me was because I didn't really think I did anything that was a big deal. Okay. Children cry. They're going to cry. So I'm just like, when you're done crying, come back and do what you got to do. Um, I didn't think it was that much of a big deal, but to the parent, it meant the world that she actually included me in the dedication at her, at her graduation. So even the little things, I guess, can make a big difference. And um, I'm thinking another story that kind of stuck out in my mind when I think about it, it's not so much because most of my teaching career, I dealt with first grade and second grade. OK, but another story that stuck, sticks out in my mind was that there was this one child, smart as a whip, um, calm in nature and cool, whatever, loved her to death. Um, she experienced a tragedy where her um, her mother died and the grandmother now had full custody of her. So um, the, she was at my, she was in my class at that time. And because I work in a Christian environment, and that's one thing I love about being in a, a private school is the only thing I know how to do when you're sad and you don't know what to do is look to Jesus. 
And me and that child, we would literally pray every day. Um, just pray. And she would look sad and just cry in class. I'd pull her to the corner. We'd pray to where the classmates would do the same thing for her, gather around her and circle around her and just pray with her and say, it's going to be okay and hug her. And throughout that year, it was a difficult year for her, but it was a comforting year. Not only to know that you have a teacher that's going to pray with me. You have, you have friends who prayed with me. And what was interesting was when she finished that year, the grandmother said, I was going to pull her out of the school because I thought it was too hard or difficult for her. But she told me, no, I want to stay. She's like, I was getting ready to put her, because she was so smart. She's like, I was getting ready to put her in a magnet school. And she said, nope. She said she wants to stay here at um, the school because she says, I have people who really care about me. That a little child told that to her grandmother and the grandmother called and actually called me on the phone, was talking to me and crying about that. So that's another moment that just came to my mind that sticks out to me that just knowing we as teachers, we're not just there to educate the mind. We have to, I feel in a sense, educate the spirit, the soul in a sense. Um, we have to love on these children because sometimes that's the only love that they see that they're getting in a classroom. I mean, I've had kids who would li literally make it difficult to love. I mean, I can tell you some other stories that were like, wow, I had a child. I remember this one child. This was just probably about a year ago or two. He was full of energy. That's, all, that's the only thing I can really explain it as, full of energy. He made it difficult to learn. He made it difficult for every aspect. But you know what? When he would come in my class, even I'd be like, sometimes, you know, when you know teachers, and I know teachers do this, can he be absent today? Please be absent, please. <laughs> that sometimes would come in my mind. Will he be absent today? Lord, I need a break. Just, this, just let him be absent. But no, he was there faithfully every day. Did not miss a day of school. But one thing that honestly stuck out in my mind, no matter what, if he needed something, he said, if I told him, you just tell Miss Franks, she'll help you out. I would get it for him and try to help him out. And just because of that, I mean, before he had to leave to go to another school, he would just hug me like, I love you, Miss Franks. Thank you so much. Thank you, Miss Franks. I'm like, for what? He, he'd just be like, you're just awesome. I'm thinking, okay. So that's another story that kind of stuck in my head with him because even though he was a, tri a trial, a hard student, he loved though. He, he, that's the way he showed his love, I guess, in a sense. He loved and he, he wasn't afraid to tell you. I was always trying to hug and squeeze me. And this was before the pandemic at the time. Always trying to hug and squeeze me. Even though he know he did wrong, he'd look at me, smile, and want to come and give me a big hug and a squeeze. And I'm like, you know you're still going to get in trouble for that, right? <laughs> but still, he was just like, it doesn't matter. He, my students, I can honestly say, they knew if they were disciplined, it was disciplined out of love. And I, even after the discipline, I'd always let them know, Miss Franks loves you. You know I love you, right? And they're like, yeah, I know, I know. Uh-huh. So that's the main thing. Those are great stories, too, because it just made me see your emphasis on relationship yeah. with your students and, and just how important that relationship with them is to the whole teaching process. Yeah. So I love it. Um, I seem to recall that you were nominated for an award. You want to tell us about that? Um, an award that I got, are you talking about the golden apple award <laughs> for the, for the, um, I think it was teacher 
of the year. Yes, I was nominated for that. Yes. And I was on the news and I was like shocked because one of my coworkers, which is still my friend today, she moved back to Miami. She put my name in for it and nominated me. I was surprised that I won. And she, cause she just said, I just believe in giving you your flowers while you're still alive. And she's like, people don't see and understand how much work we actually do as teachers. Um, and sometimes we can be taken for granted. So yes, I was nominated for the golden apple award. Yes. <laughs> so how did they, cause I know it was a whole surprise. Like how did they pull that off? I would tell you, it was a surprise, but I kind of knew my friend was up to something because she told me, don't miss school on this day. I'm like, why? What if I feel like taking a day off? You can't. And, then, and then the other thing she said, which I thank the Lord, please come to school dressed good with your hair combed. I'm like, huh? Wow. And I know she kind of got my husband involved with it at the time. And so he, she, I guess to tell her, to, to tell him, to tell me, please make sure she looks good when she comes to school that day. So um, how that kind of worked was she, I guess she put my name in and information about me to a news network down here. And the news network, network selects from a bunch of different teachers. Um, so when they put my, I guess when they put my name in, they selected me. I don't know. Maybe she wrote something really great about me. I never got to see it, but I'm pretty sure she did. So they selected me, I guess, out of, uh, I guess hundreds of teachers and then from that point on you got to go on the computer I guess this this is where to me it came more of a popularity thing and the person who got the most votes at that time they would be that become that person who won and then their name will go in for a drawing to be that teacher of the year um, unfortunately I didn't win that second part because I do come from a small school but that was okay but um, yeah it was a shock to me because when I did come to school that day, I'm teaching on the board, doing my thing, and my kids, they're paying attention. And then one of my kids say, Miss Franks, I'm like, what, what, what's wrong? Turn around, there's a camera in the classroom. Now, if anyone knows me, I do not like cameras. I don't even like getting my picture taken. So I jump, hide my face and run out the classroom and the kids are just laughing. And they're just like, Miss Franks, you can't leave. Wait, wait, wait. And the news camera's like, wait, wait, come back here, come back here. So I'm like, why are you guys in my classroom looking all surprised with my face still covered? You've been nominated for the Golden Apple teacher. And then I start screaming like I won a thousand bucks. I'm like, ah! <laughs> and what was funny though, if you, I don't know if they still have an archive, but if you watch that video, what was the crazy part about it was that he said that on the news, he's like, this teacher was the most excited one. She act like she won the lottery or something. I'm like, for real, you had to put me out there like that. But I think my main excitement just came from not so much knowing that I was winning an award. I got the award. Just the camera was in my classroom. Trust me. I don't like to be in front of cameras. I just like to do it. I'm like more of the behind the scenes person. I'll do what I can do to help you do what I'm supposed to do and just do what I need to do to let my students flourish and grow. So when that camera was in my face, I was just like, can't you just talk to the kids or can't you just talk to my principal or something? Why are you in my classroom? But they were trying to tell me, act natural, just go on and teach like you were doing. I was like, that's not going to happen right now. I know there's a big old camera with lights on me, showcasing my kids, showcasing me. But they were they were pretty cool about my nerves and everything and worked with me. But yeah, that was that was a shocker. I was just like, and I had to tell my friend, don't ever do anything like that again. She's like, why? You deserve it. I was like, not like that. I don't want cameras on me. But um, but other than that, it was it was cool. But she's right. Give 
give your your um, people their flowers when they're alive so that they know that they're appreciated and loved. So it, that was a pretty amazing, cool time in my life as being a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> that is such a good story. That is such a good story. And I know we, we weren't able to be there, but we were super proud of you and just, it was exciting seeing the, the news clip and everything. It was just, it was great. That was just really great. Um, what would you say has been one of your biggest challenges in the teaching profession? Um, coming into uh, all my years of teaching, I've been teaching for about 17, almost 20 years now. All my years of teaching, I've taught, um, well, I can't say all my years, but most of my years of teaching, I've taught at the private school here in Montgomery. And the challenge is, I guess even for most schools, if not anything, is budget. Money, 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 money. You know, you can, money is what you helps you get things, to do things, to supply things. Um, that has been like a big challenge is financial part of it. But another big challenge for me right now, um, especially since COVID hit and everything, I do believe you need to have a good, strong curriculum, don't get me wrong, but is how do you meet a child's needs? <clears throat> how do you do what you're supposed to do if they're trying to put you on a pacing clock time and meeting a child's needs saying, well, this is in the curriculum and this has to get done and it needs to be done in this time or by this time, like try to kind of manage you in a sense. I don't truly feel that a student or a child's need is being met when you do that. And I know they're trying to come, they come out with different things to do, differentiate, try doing this activity and try doing that. And some of those things do help, but I truly feel that the teacher knows what's best because they're with that child for most of the time in the day and they see where that child needs, that that child's needs need to be met. So when you're put on a pacing time frame or this guide or saying this needs to be done because the test is coming up and we want them to be successful to the test. We're not telling you to teach to the test, but just make sure they do well on the test. I'm, I'm just like, okay, so what am I supposed to do? Put everything else aside and just focus on the test standards, the test goal, because that's what's going to, I guess, make the school look good. But is that, re but is that re reaching the need of the child? And in most cases, I, I know it doesn't do it. It just makes the test look good. But um, I want to be able to prepare students not to be test takers, to be thinkers, to think outside the box, to love learning and have a passion for it because you develop new and different ways to do things. And I just find it difficult at times when you have to stick to a certain curriculum or do things a certain way. So not just a financial challenge, but that's also another challenge that I find in teaching. I think there's so many things that people who are not teachers just assume about the profession and they don't get to see these like qualitative details like that. That was, that's, that's really good. The way you, the way you um, articulated that. We we need to be careful. I mean, a lot of us sit on different boards and stuff, and maybe some people who sit on those boards were in the classroom at one point in time, but they've been disconnected because they've been out of the classroom so long 
they truly don't understand and see the challenges. So when you say, well, when I was in the classroom, this such and such and such, and this is how we used to do it. But good, that was good for your time. But imagine now that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Were you in a classroom in the middle of the pandemic to understand and see what teachers have to do to try to meet the needs of students? I mean, there are times when my class ends, I'm still on Zoom with a child, probably until five o'clock, sometimes six o'clock in the evening, just because they need they need that extra, okay? And I mean, if I had to make it fun and just do it one-on-one, that's what I have to do to try to reach them, um, just to make sure that they're getting what they need. I mean, and then the, even for these, like I said, the social part of it, um, the class that I have now currently, they said to me one day when school ended, most kids when school out, okay, I'm gone. I can go home. I can watch my movies. But they said to me, Mrs. Frank, can you leave your Zoom open? I was like, why? Because we want to play. I'm like, on Zoom? And I said, okay, if it's all right with your parents, I'll leave it open. These children creatively found ways to have play dates on Zoom. Um, Then because it was, um, I have a smaller class now, but because these um, boys wanted to play together and the girls wanted to play together, I said, okay, I'm going to put you guys in a breakout room. Girls, you're in one breakout room and boys, you're in the other breakout room and you guys play. And that's like, well, now Ms. Projects is not going to be there even though I turned my camera off and my sound off so that they could interact and play with each other because I had work to do. I was still there in front of the screen though. But just to listen and to watch them find the creative ways to play. They went into the room and said, look, I have this toy. Do you have a toy like this? And they're holding it up and they're talking about it and they're being free and being themselves. Even one child said, hey, Let's play Roblox together. Here, I'll let you in on my thing. So, okay, you hear me? Okay, do you see me? Oh, yeah. And they're playing the computer game on Zoom together. And I'm just like, what? So, I mean, when you allow children to be children, they will come up with how to solve a problem. And they did. We can't be face-to-face, but we're still going to play with each other. And I'm still going to make my new friends in my classroom, even though I'm not able to go over their house. They're still going to be able to see parts of my house and see the toys that I have and share. So if we leave it up to children to be creative as they are, they will find a way to solve their problems at times. So they stay, and it was interesting. I thought after like 45 minutes, they'll be done. They stayed on my Zoom for about two hours. I was like, what? Eventually, eventually I was, I just, I just had to be like, guys, you gotta go now. <laughs> we gotta go. So they were enjoying it. The children will show you if you give them a voice and let them do what they need to do at times. I love that so much. <laughs> I really do. Like that is just, that just really like literally brought joy to my heart <laughs> to hear that. Like, wow. How, you know, it, cause the kids are, have been impacted as well. Yes. So we can talk about it from our side, you know, whatever aspect of teaching that we're in. Um, but the kids they definitely have been impacted. And just to hear that they, in that moment, were not zoomed out, that they were not so screen exhausted, that they recognize an opportunity to interact with their classmates. I love it. And just to be kids. And then you you were there to facilitate that. Like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That See, that's why educators are epic. And that's why teachers rock. Okay. <laughs> if it is your passion... 
you're going to be able to withstand and hold on in there. Um, some people go into education because they think, oh, this is easy. I get the summers off and all I got to do is teach one course or something. It's not, it's not the way you think it is. Um, so if you're going in there just thinking you're going to have an easy ride, it's it's not going to be that easy. Trust me. And I know I know a lot of people think, oh, teachers, you got it easy. You get Christmas break off, you get Thanksgiving break off, and you got the whole summer to. We need that summer. Trust me, we definitely need that summer. So, if you're actually th- thinking about going into education, if you're going into it for the right reasons, I would definitely tell you find yourself a good person to mentor you. Um, somebody who is just about as passionate about it as you are. Um, And it's going to be hard at times. Don't give up. Much prayer, much power. Stay on your knees for sure. And um, don't just think you're going in there, oh, I I got these sweet little kids. Nah, children, you have to build a relationship with them. That's how they become sweet. You definitely have to take your time and build relationships with them. Get to know things that they like. Um, Listen to them. And stuff like that. So, I mean, teaching, it has its awesome points to it, awesome perks to it. Don't get me wrong. But it also it also is a difficult thing. You're dealing with so many different minds, so many different personalities. Um, so you just make sure that it's something that you passionate and you love so that you won't quit within your first year. You won't quit within your second year. You won't even think about quitting within your third year if it's something that you found that passion and your love for. Because trust me, the first year, you're going to want to walk out the door, especially if you have that challenge class. The second year, if you say, I made it through the first year, I can do it the second year. In the middle of the year, you're probably going to want to walk out the door. Okay. Um, The third year, even if you say, oh, this is a great class. I think I found my calling. Then it might be something in administration. And you're going to be like, "Uh uh-uh. I'm gone. You're going to want to walk out the door. But if you know you found something in it that you're passionate and you love about it, you're not going to turn around and walk out the door. I mean, I believe my passion, my love about it is the children. Because really, I knew when I was in college and I was searching for my profession, it was I want to do something with children. I want to help children. So it may have been pediatrics, but the Lord led me to education. And I can honestly say I've helped a lot of children, not just to say, ooh, I've molded their minds and shaped them, but I've helped them grow emotionally, I can honestly say. And that's where, that's where I guess my love kept me in my love for teaching because I can think of some stories where my first year, okay, it, I mean, my first full year, not when I first started, my first full year, I can honestly say, I do remember going, to actually going back and talking to Dr. Bliss and saying, I just don't think I like it. I don't think I'm cut out to be a teacher. And she said, honey, you got your, your experience, right? She said, yeah, you can leave that place and now you can go somewhere else. But as I continued to listen to her, I was like, she's got a point. I got teaching experience now. I don't have to stay here. But when I seeked God, that's the main thing, because God is first and foremost in my life. He said, I placed you here for a reason, and this is where I want you to stay. And that's what truly made me stay where I am now, because I easily could have went to my, I could have went to a public school, which would have probably been a little bit easier because I have more resources and everything. But Lord told me, this is where I want you to be. And when I'm ready to remove you, then you will leave from here. 
And I can honestly say that because through this pandemic, okay, honestly, I mean, my school should be shut down and it should be shut down, but, but not for God. That's what I can say. He still wants me there. He still wants it to be open. So that's why I need to stay until he says, good job. Let's move on to something else for you. So that's honestly what hold, that's keeping me and holding me together is Jesus, honestly. That's what's keeping me. So for that teacher or for that person who wants to go into the teaching profession, know that, know why you're doing it. I'm going to say that first and foremost and know and find the passion for it because there are going to be days when you're just going to be like, I can't do this anymore. It's draining emotionally and physically. Okay. And um, so you just have to know that why you're doing it and keep on holding on to that to press forward the children it's just kind of like a love-hate relationship you could say you know they get on your nerves you're like I wish you would be gone but when they're gone I miss them I mean right now right now I'm on spring break I really don't miss them that much I'm gonna be honest but when summertime hits and about two weeks later until my summer break I'm like, I miss my kids. I miss the classroom. And I'm like, wait, am I really saying this? I really miss them. Um, they say children keep you young. Yes. But they also keep you on your toes and on your feet and everything else. But my students keep me company, I can honestly say. Um, if I need to have a conversation, they're there to have a conversation. If I need a laugh, they make me laugh. If I need a hug, they give me a hug. If I need, if I want to cry and they even see tears building up in my eyes, they're there. Miss Franks, it's okay. They're hugging you. You can cry. It's okay. And I'm looking at them like, huh? I'm supposed to be telling you it's okay. But they're telling me it's okay. Because I clearly remember when my mom passed um, and I had to be away from school, my kids made me ball. Why? Because... Before her funeral, I came back to the classroom and I talked to the sub and I told the kids hi. And they're like, Miss Franks is back! Miss Franks! They were so excited to see me and they were glad. And then I said, well, I got to go, guys, because um, I won't be back probably for another week and I got to go. But they started crying. And I'm like, why are you guys crying? Because I, I, we'll be good. They started saying, don't leave. We don't want you to leave. We miss you. We love you. I was like, I'm not leaving that because of anything you did. Um, I just have to handle some business, pretty much. I had to sell them. And the one child said, it's because of your mom. Is that why you're not coming back? I'm like, I'm coming back. I just have to bury her. I pretty much had to tell them. I didn't want to say that, but I had to tell them that. And they were like, but we'll be good when you come back. Watch, Miss Franks. We're not going to give you any problems. And I just wanted to cry. And I kind of did cry. And I was like, Honestly, it's not anything that you guys did why I have to go. I have to bury my mom, but I will come back. And they're like, okay. And then just one child would not just stop crying. I just had to run out the classroom because I was like, I, I felt sorry for the sub at the time because I was like, I should have went in there because now she has to get them all calmed down and bring them back down to whatever. I pretty much told her, let them go outside and play. And then when they calm down, you can bring them back in. But I had to literally run out the classroom because they would not let me go. They would not let me go. And I was just like, I have to go. Um, but even and even in my return, when I came back, there was like 
dozen of cards from every grade level at my school just waiting for me just to say how sorry they were and how glad they are that I'm back though in the building because they missed me because I don't only have a relationship with my students that's what I love also about working in a smaller Christian environment I have a relationship with all the students pretty much even now one is about one student is about to graduate from high school I taught her in the first grade and she still communicates with me she comes to the classroom, volunteers and helps me when before COVID hit. And even now she's like, I'm going to, I'm going this way to college, but you know, I'm going to keep in contact with you. And if I need help, I know I'm going to call you. You're going to help me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here for you. That to the point where she says, you're my second mommy. I'm like, oh, for real? She's like, yeah. And Mr. Franks is my daddy. And why that touched my heart when she said Mr. Franks is her daddy. She doesn't have a relationship with her dad. Her dad pretty much is not around in her life. And um, I think I'm thinking of a story at her um, school, her school, her high school where she used to go to. She needed a male figure to because she got nominated for homecoming queen and she needed a male figure to walk her in at the high school. They wanted the daughters to have their dad, the nominees to have their dads walk them in. And she said, the first person I could think about was Mr. Franks. She said to me, so can you ask your husband if he's walking? I said, you can ask him. He's your dad, isn't he? So she asked him. He said, of course, I'll do it. It was so funny. They, they, those two, I mean, they're ridiculous. They went to the store together and got like matching outfits or whatever to go to this homecoming thing just to walk her down. And um, I guess it meant the world to her because she texted me later. Thanks for lending me your husband. He's a great dad. And I'm like, well, he's your dad. So even though, so, I mean, when you build real relationships with these students, they just don't leave. Trust me. They'll come back years later. There's one student I taught. I taught him, yeah, first and second grade too. And he graduated. But what was amazing, I haven't seen or kept in contact in a while with him. He came back to the school. She said, I'm coming to say goodbye. I'm like, what? He's like, I'm joined, I joined the military and they're, depo- they're deploying him. And he's like, I'm coming to say goodbye. And I was like, uh-uh, you give me your phone number. We need to keep in contact and I'm going to pray with you. And at that point before he left uh, my class, we held hands in a circle around him and we prayed over him. And then I said, I'm going to keep in contact with you. So I do remember I texted him one time. I really didn't expect him to respond. I said, are you keeping safe and is everything good? And he said, yes, thank you for checking in on me. Thank you for praying with me. I was like, okay. So, I mean, when you build relationships, even when these little, little ones grow and they become adults, they don't forget. They don't forget. They'll, they remember and they'll, they'll come in the back of their mind to just look you up or even come to the school. You still work here? I'm so glad you still work here. I wanted to keep in contact with you. So they, they don't forget. And it's important to surround yourself with the right people that will keep you encouraged. Um, because there are times when, you, like I said before, you do feel like giving up. You feel like quitting. You don't want to do it anymore. But if you're surrounded with the right person, like I kind of call them the go-getter or the encourager in a sense. If you're surrounded with that person, it, it gives you strength. It holds you up when you can't stand up and you can do vice versa, be vice versa for them. Um, like I was telling you about my, um, like even with you, Jen, um, it's interesting is I really, another thing I really found passion and desiring is education is when I met you in the curriculum lab. <laughs> And I was like, oh, there's another educator. Okay. Uh, Even though we were at different years, though, what was interesting about it and my journey with that was that I had a friend that can keep me 
balance and focus and I can go to about, what do you like about being in the classroom? I did such and such and this in my classroom or something. So it's like, it's who you surround yourself with. I mean, not all my friends are educators, don't get me wrong, but um, like my friend now, even in Miami too, like now I was telling her, it's so difficult to teach, especially when you're teaching online. I'm saying sometimes I think, I feel like I'm going to quit. I just want to stop. And she was like, okay. She would listen to me talk and she's like, okay, but just try to hold on in there. She tried to throw these different ideas at me to encourage me to keep me going. And I'm like, okay, I feel you. And then I remember it was, I fluctuate. I know I, I can be up and I can be down or whatever. I remember that it was probably last week I told her, cause we were working on something together online. I said, this is why I like teaching. I like working around people like this. She's like, I'm so glad you said that. I was scared when you said you were going to leave. I didn't want you to leave. You're a good teacher. You have to stay. You have to stay. <laughs> I'm like, but my thing is, even if I end the journey of the traditional classroom, I'm always going to still be a teacher, whether it's me tutoring or whether it's me mentoring and helping a child, because I, I love children like that. I still will, in a sense, be a teacher, even though it won't, be, it may not be in the traditional classroom. That was one thing. I find my strength from people who keep me encouraged and keep me balanced. So let me know, you know, just don't quit because of feelings. Because you know, sometimes our feelings can be wrong. We can't judge everything based on our feelings. So, yeah, my my strength comes from people. I can say, the right people, the positive people. Yeah. Thank you for your years of service to children. Um, your efforts have not gone unnoticed. I'm so looking forward to sharing more stories with you, to connect with you, challenge you, and energize you. Stories create environments where we can learn valuable insights from each other's experiences. They represent our collective pain, joy, fear, faith, best days and worst days. They unite us, teach us, challenge us, delight us, and enable us to convey messages of hope in a complicated world. There's something to learn from someone else's story. They are countless lessons of faith, hope, and love. So why not take some time to consider your own story, then join us again for another story worth living.